welcome back to Are Your Parents Proud of You? I'm your host, Matthew Schufreiter. Uh, sorry if I'm, I seem very tired. I just came back from a run and whoops, I still forgot to take my mask off. Uh, I am joined by uh, my, my fellow mask wearer, Pro Mask. Uh, who are you? Oh, I'm Griffin. I'm Griffin, the official mask wearer of Are Your Parents Proud of You? Um, but we're indoors now and it's it seems safe. So I'm going to take right. my mask off now. Yep, same here. How are you, buddy? I'm doing all right. How are you, Matt? How was your Thanksgiving? Didn't we talk about it? It was great. I don't remember. We just, we do so many of these. Who's our guest yeah, today? That <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, was great. Our guest today is fellow actor, improviser, Daniel Westheimer. Daniel is an out of base Chicago actor. Daniel grew up on a farm near Cincinnati. And has studied acting, really? but all, yeah, but they have farms well. out there. Who knew? I've, never, I've I've never been near Cincinnati, so I would not know. Uh, neither have I. But here's no. the other thing about Daniel. Daniel's also currently studying to get his master's in clinical mental health counseling at Northwestern Ooh. University. Yeah, so Ooh. we talk a lot about mental health. Uh, so. Cool. Oh, it's so good. And he's a, a wonderful human being to listen to. We did a show together last Christmas and um, one of the highlights of my life was hanging out with him and um, watching him act. So without further ado, let's take you inside the mind of Daniel Westheimer. Hi, Daniel. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, thanks for having me on. Thank you for doing this. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's the end of the year. How is your pandemic life going? You know, my pandemic life is good. It's fine. It's uh, um, kind of boring, but I would rather it be boring than, you know, um, up, upheaved. Uh, you know, it's different than our life was last year. Last year, this time, we were both in a show together. And now um, I'm not, I haven't performed in, uh, in a long time. But uh, you know, I, I made biscuits this morning, so I, I'm learning how to bake. Yeah, I made breakfast biscuits and like had eggs on them. Uh, and it's it's been a nice, nice day off. How about yourself? You know, like I said on the show, I, I feel like I became a better artist and a better actor um, during this whole pandemic. I've done less theater or acting and just more on focusing on myself with like writing, slowing down in life instead of just having to look forward and just think about the now which has been mm -hmm. very fun and very rewarding to do at the same time. It's just, it's, I've been so busy with school and other projects. It's just been a nice change of pace to just focus on myself. Uh, so this pandemic came at a um, kind of a really weird timing and almost a perfect time, I would say too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's odd to look back. And I know so many people's lives are so, uh, so uh, altered in such a negative way. Um, but it sounds like you and I are both um, taking our thanks in whatever way we can, uh, looking back and seeing that it can improve your life in some way. That's great. I'm curious about the biscuits. When, is this something you just wanted to do? Uh, well, I made them on Thanksgiving. Uh, my, uh, my partner and I switched like who would make what for our two-person Thanksgiving. And I decided to, I wanted a roll or a bread and I found like this five ingredient vegan biscuit recipe. Um, and they turned out well, we ate them so quickly. And this morning I had a day off uh, because I had to sign up for uh, the next term of classes. So I requested off work today. 
because you know you know that thing with classes where you're like i need to get in the time or the uh, the class that i want right um and so yeah i made biscuits i made some uh some fried eggs put those on top with some cheddar cheese and some hot sauce avocado um i'm i'm trying to you know enjoy my day off i had it with a glass of a cold brew you know that's great i understand your favorite drink to make is a chex mix drink so i'm curious uh, if we had to make a drink and call it the Daniel, what kind of, what would it include? The Daniel. Oh, um, you know, if I were to make a Daniel, it would be a, uh, now I'm going with a cocktail, my friend, uh, okay. because, you know, I, I enjoy making a good cocktail. It would be whiskey based. Okay. Um, it would have some orange bitters um, and it would be on the rocks. And other than that, like maybe a dash of apple juice, something like that, something very, um, some sugar to like, add a little pop but doesn't take away from the whiskey um that's what i'm feeling right now you know i think if i was in college my my drink would more be probably a rum based drink i was more into to rum or other sugary alcohols back then but yeah i'm going something nice simple um classic like that that's great uh, i kind of want to transition now into early daniel so you are from cincinnati and you yeah. grew up on a farm yeah what was that like and what were you like as a child Man, uh, if you ask my siblings, I was annoying as a child. Um, but, you know, I was I was the youngest of five growing up on a small um, independent farm. So that it, we weren't like uh, making our fortune or making our money off of, of off of farming. Uh, farming was more of my like my dad in the 70s bought a farm uh, and he was a school teacher and wanted to try farming as well. So um, farming was more like what we ate right? We, we would grow what we eat and we would give our vegetables to friends, but it wasn't ever like a monetary thing. So it was, I mean, it was fun. It was, um, you know, I've never liked getting dirt under my nails. That's never been my, my thing. I, I was always um, the city boy in the country boy's body. Like I always wanted to be in the city and that's one of the reasons why I moved here. But yeah, I, uh, I can say that I, I gained a lot of lessons by, by driving the tractor to mow the lawn or, uh, or, or all that. And like, I mean, I, I, I liked childhood only because I had such supportive parents uh, and, and family, you know, like I am who I am today based on the support of them. They wanted us to pursue whatever interested us, especially me. I was the youngest. So I benefited from, you know, all the science experiments that came before me, you know, that's what, that's what parenting seems to be is you you're the most strict with the first child and if it turns out well you like become more lenient more lenient um but yeah i always yearned for the city uh and then I, in high school i i decided to rather than continuing the homeschooling route that i was on until then um i wanted to go to public school in part because i craved socialization i mean i, I had friends and i and i hung out with people sometimes but it's hard when you're on a farm in the middle of nowhere and all your friends are also homeschooled to hang out with people uh, because everyone has their own schedules. They're doing their own things. And so um, I, I asked my parents if I could enroll in high school. And so I, uh, I went to school downtown in Cincinnati. So we would drive every day um, and went to an art school down there and kind of, you know, uh, deepened my love of theater, deepened my, my love of the city. Um, and since then, I always, you know, I've lived city to city since then. Where do you think this love of theater even came from? Well, my, my, my parents, uh, my dad was the, um, 
uh, on the board of Cincinnati Shakespeare Company since 2000. Uh, and, you know, he's he's been on and off the board there. And so he always, that that's what kind of like brought Shakespeare into my life and brought Shakespeare into his life. And my mom always loved going to theater, going to plays and, and music and, and art was always part of our life. Uh, but, you know, like my, 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 my dad and my folks had a uh, folk band uh, that toured the tri-state Cincinnati area in the, uh, the 90s before I was uh, an egg as part of his, uh, part of his doctorate thesis. And so art, music was always a part of it. And then theater became a part of it uh, in the 2000s. And basically I was able to go to camps, clowning camp and Shakespeare camp. You know, like I, I had a lot of privilege when it came to the resources that I was given. Um, and, and I think that as, I think that group activities are important for kids to learn socialization and sports weren't my thing. And so theater is what I was more drawn to. Uh, they, they both teach very similar lessons um, but I excelled at one and I was crap at the other. Right. Um, and so I, I went to, you know, camps and studied it in school. And I, I liked the idea of changing the world or making people think through our actions or through what we could create, um, with this group activity. Right. I teach pre-K right now in home and it's a group of three. And at one point when I had to be in quarantine after a COVID outbreak in my house, um, I was like, do we, should we do this online? And all the moms said, hell no, we, they can't do it. They can't be isolated from each other. They have to learn in the same room or else they're not going to accomplish anything. And that was my first time teaching. So I was like, that doesn't make sense. And after, so, but I went with it. So I took a few weeks off quarantine, got isolated, got tested. And then I came back. And that first week, we went back to learning about how they spell their names. And they learned so well off each other. And I think it's so important that, yeah, like you said, they need to be in a group setting, especially, you know, little kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't done a lot of research on how this year is changing academia. I do know that my, um, I have a few teacher friends who teach through Zoom, and it's both hard and rewarding. Our, our friend Travis does it. Um, he, well, he, he did do it now. He, uh, he teaches in the room, but I, I think that I, I understand those parents like being like, hell no, we shouldn't switch to zoom. But I think that kids can learn either way. It's us that have the predisposition to how you should learn. Like their parents had the predisposition of how we should learn that gets in the way. Um, I, I'm currently in, uh, and we can get this down the road if you're wanting to go more of a chronological Daniel Westheimer storyline, but uh, I'm, I'm currently in Zoom classes right now. I, I decided during the pandemic to enroll in grad school. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, and I chose the program specifically because it's online already. It was online before the pandemic. It's going to be online after the pandemic. So that way, unlike most college programs, it doesn't have to change itself and we're not paying for a product that isn't like in its training wheels. You know, this has been on online school since it started, uh, at least since like the, the late 2000 and teens. Um, but it's a different learning experience for me. You know, I, I went to high school and I, my BFA education is all in classroom, uh, touching, feeling, you know, really interacting with each other, seeing what everyone looks like uh, and knowing um, 
everything about each other because you're kind of growing together. And this is a different experience, you know, education over Zoom, similar to this conversation where if we were in person, it would be uh, a little bit more personable. We could actually make eye contact rather than pretending to make eye contact. Um, and like, uh, you know, my Zoom has internet issues every once in a while, which is like, I'm in the middle of a point and then it goes, but, 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 um, which kind of uh, is, as someone who gets good grades by just talking, um, it kind of uh, messes it up for me, but it's, I'm still learning. I'm still engaging. It's because it's not like it's the wrong way to learn. It's just a different way to learn. Mm -hmm. And out of the three different ways you've learned, you said you've done homeschool, you've done in person, now you're online. You have a preference now at this point? Well, I think that what I've learned in each place benefited from the environment that I was learning it in. Mm -hmm. So I think that theater doesn't work if it's Zoom and education. You know, my BFA diploma would, wouldn't work if I was doing movement classes, do, uh, learning Adler uh, over Zoom. It, it just wouldn't work. And, and I know that there are some courses, uh, some BFA programs, some college programs that are trying that right now. And I feel for those kids, especially because they're paying the same amount that I paid for a different education. And I don't think that that works. But I think that um, my current education, you know, studying mental health counseling, I don't think it's deterred by the, the Zoom uh, education. I think I would love it to be in person. I think that it would be nice if there were more, more of the classes itself, because I benefit from just like as much classroom time as possible, because uh, the way that these classes are working is that most of it's asynchronous, which means that it's like pre-recorded lectures that you as an individual watch on your own time, answering questions on your own time. And then you meet once or twice a week with the, with the class to just basically review and ask questions that you might've gotten from the lecture. And personally, I benefit more from everyone meeting at the same time, learning at the same time, and then going off and doing their own studies rather than this whole like, here's the lecture, do it on your own time. And I, I, I think if this was a non-pandemic time, I would be screwed, man, because um, I, I like to have a balance of life. I like to have a balance of like, I'm going to hang out with my friends here. I'm going to go to this restaurant. I'm going to play this video game. And during the pandemic, it's very easy to succeed, at least for me, in an online education form because it literally, what else am I balancing? I balance hanging out with my partner, um, trying to get some outside time at work. Uh, and so it's, it's a lot easier, um, but I don't think it's, it may be not the ideal, but it's, it's working for me so far. Um, and I wanna be a better student. That's, that's one thing I wanna say. Cause I, in college, in high school, I was the type of kid that did the essay the night before and got an A. Uh, and didn't necessarily do the reading, yes, their way through the uh, the grades. I mean, through the to the tests and got A's. Right, I was a good testing student, but I don't know if I learned the best. And now I don't want to care about my grades. I want to get the best education because I plan on affecting people's lives on a personal level. I plan on being there for people when they're in crisis or or anything like that. And why would I care? They don't care about what grade I got in 
in X class. They care that I have the knowledge base that I can be there for them. Right, right. You know, my last semester in college was during the pandemic, when the pandemic first started. And my, my, my love of getting the grade even escalated just because I was just doing anything at this point, doing it at two in the morning, four in the morning, getting very little sleep, not really learning, just, you know, skimming the paragraphs of the pages we got in some stupid U.S. history to 1876 program of like, all right, well, this sounds important. Let's talk about that. So I just, I, I kind of regret it at this point. I know it's nothing I can do. I don't control the pandemic, but I, I, it, it's, I, I wish I could have done more. Like I took a gender and stu- a gender class this last semester mm-hmm. and I loved it until March when we shut down. And now I think, well, man, I really would have, I really would have loved learning more in that class than from March to May where I'm just BSing and turn everything in late or last minute, you know? Right. Right. So speaking of college, you went to Webster University at the Conservatory of Arts. Uh, first of all, why Webster? <laughs> Man, you did your research for this one, didn't you? I love doing research. I think that's the one thing I really took away from this pandemic is I really like to do research on not just people for the show, but just things in general. Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I look forward to uh, all the all the questions and history you know about me that I don't even know about me. Um, <laughs> kind of like Nardwar. But um, uh, yeah, I chose Webster. Um, I, I only applied to five schools. So I know a lot of people in the arts, they apply to like 13 schools, they go to unifieds, they, they spread their wings, they spend thousands of dollars to get to, to cast a wide net so that way you can get the best fish. I didn't want to do that because I thought that would be stressful. And I, um, I knew that my parents, my parents were, you know, graciously supporting my endeavors in the arts, but were like, be choosy. Uh, so I only applied to five and I applied to um, Wright State University in Ohio so I could get in-state tuition. I applied to Muhlenberg College in Pennsylvania, which was amazing, um, which was uh, probably the, the school I would have gone to if I had not gone to Webster. Uh, IU, um, I applied to uh, this school up in New York. I forget what it was called. Um, but e- either way, like when I went to Webster's campus, they didn't try to sell me on it. They told me how difficult it could be. And I appreciated that. The head of the program sat, sat us down and was like, this is not for everyone. Um, and I, I kind of like that. It's like uh, what, what uh, Mark says, where it's like, uh, I don't want to belong to a club that asks me to be there, Right. Like, I want to be a part of a club that's like, no, you don't want to be here. And then I forced my way in. Uh, and then at my audition day, I, um, we went there, because I went there twice. I went to visit the campus, and then I came back to audition. And we showed up at the space, and the room wasn't set up. And the, the professor was just, like, struggling with the table. And all of the students... All, no, the, the, the potential students were all off in their corners trying to like re-go over their monologues in their mind. And I went up and volunteered to help set up the table and set up the room. And I found out later that's what helped get, got me in. Like the, the professor told me later uh, my freshman year, there was like, that was the moment where, where I decided to root for you. Um, and I could tell like this kindness in her um, 
that like she was invested in the in the her students or potential students. She actually helped me get into grad school. She wrote uh, Kat Singleton. She wrote my one of my recommendation letters. Um, but yeah, I chose Webster because of that, and I, I liked that it was competitive. It was it was a hard program to get into, and it was a hard program. All the men I struggled in the program. Um, I was on probation for for a whole year while in the program, which meant I didn't, for my sophomore year, I wasn't able to perform, um, which, I mean, it was rough, but it was, uh, it, you know, talked to my parents later, my mom cried because she was like, it was like my, they were telling me my baby wasn't good enough. And that's not how I felt about it. I, I felt it was like, hey, um, you have the skill set. These, these tools aren't sharp enough for what we want them to be. Go hone them. And we want you to succeed because then once I got into the casting pool, I was a supporting lead in all of the rest of the shows I did at the school because I invested in myself and I invested in the program. A lot of people leave that program. A lot of people leave most BFA programs. They, the, the retention rate is not that high. They, people leave, they transfer to other schools. They find out that theater is not what they want to do. And that's so valid. But for me, I felt like it was a fire under my ass. I felt like it was like, uh, almost challenging me to not like, oh, you want to quit? I was like, no, I'm not fucking quitting, right? Like, uh, or freaking quitting. Sorry if you bleep the show. No, don't, don't um, fucking swear. I don't care. Okay, cool. Uh, but you know, and and there was a time like sophomore year when that was happening where I was like, damn, what if I would have gone to Muhlenberg? What if I would have gone to another school? Because Muhlenberg, their cafeteria was Hogwarts. I'm not even kidding. They designed it after Hogwarts. Their library was five floors, each floor getting quieter as you go down. They had an acapella choir. They had a ukulele choir of uh, like that you could be in as an extracurricular, but it would have been a BA and it would have been three times more expensive. But I'll be honest, that's where my parents wanted me to go. They would have rather me get a BA so they could get a well-rounded education. Instead, I was like, no, I'm going to get a BFA. And because of that, I, um, you know, I entered the workforce and I, could only do one thing, work the service industry. And that's fine. I've been doing that for five years, but that's also why I'm going back to school. Uh, had I maybe gotten a double major at a BA or, or maybe expanded my academic classes, I maybe would have had a different job at this point um, or maybe not gone back to school. But I'm glad I stayed at Webster because it brought me to Chicago. I wouldn't be on the journey that I'm at before the pandemic, I was working on a show constantly, like jumping show to show, right? And a lot of people that went to my school that didn't get on probation, that weren't kind of like challenged in that way, they jumped into the workforce and they found, oh, wait, this is fucking hard. This is not what I want to do. And I realized that I'm saying this as someone that is um, going back to school for a different career, right? I'm going back to school for mental health counseling, but I don't view that necessarily as a change of careers. I view that as a way to support myself. So that way I can do theater without having to work the service industry because we shouldn't have to work 40 hours a week on something that doesn't fulfill us while trying to fulfill ourselves with art. Right. 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 You know, I, 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 I got my education minor halfway through my, my time at Columbia. And part of me thinks to myself, what have I done the other way? What if I went in for education, even though Columbia doesn't have an education 
major program as a minor program, but what if I went to a different school and started to study education and then done theater halfway? Do you think if you started to study mental health at the beginning of your time at college and you did theater halfway, do you think that would have changed you or differed you in any other way? Oh, completely. I, I would be a completely different person. I, I think that, well, I think they feed into each other, those two career paths, similar to how education and theater feed into each other. Um, so that they are very similar skill sets, but I don't think I had the mental, I don't think I was in a healthy mental health state in order to study this career path at that point when I was younger. Um, you know, it, I, it took me therapy. It took me getting uh, school counseling when I was in a rut. It took me having a mental breakdown to realize how important mental health really is. And that sucks that that's the way kind of our system is, is that people need to have a break in order to have that breakthrough, or at least I did. Um, but no, I, I think that I am who I am today based on the skill set that theater gave me and that improv gave me. And I, and I would not have moved to Chicago if I studied or gone to St. Louis for college if I studied mental health, you know, like I would have, um, I would have uh, done something different. Plus, I'll be honest, I don't think an undergrad degree in mental health or psychology is necessary. Um, similar to why I don't necessarily think that a theater degree is necessary, but um, there are so many people in my program, in my master's program at Northwestern that went for marketing uh, for their undergrad, that went for theater for their undergrad. You know, they, I would have still had to go to a master's program for mental health anyway in the future um, in order to make a career out of it. Um, and so it, maybe I would have been on the path faster because, you know, there's a four-year window between graduating college and going to uh, to grad school. But I'm happy with the path I went on um, because, man, the, the empathy is a strong tool. And I know that everyone has that in their toolbox, but I think that theater uh, gives you that, like sharpens that tool so much. Learning how to see the world from other people's points of view. And I bring my, the skill set that I learned in theater into my classes every day. You know, we do mindfulness exercises in grad school. Mm. We, we, we do meditations. These are all things that we got graded on, or at least like we, we, we studied in college for, for theater. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy with my path so far. Right. I'm reading this book called The Lucid Body. I point to it because, you know, it's a video podcast. It's really not. Uh, the Lucid Body on my bookshelf. And the first chapter is on not as looking at someone and not assuming things about them. And I really, and when I started teaching pre-K, I had to reread that chapter just because besides the fact that I've been starting to become a high school teacher and preschool is just something that fell into my lap. Um, that took me a little while to sort of figure that out. Like, all right, well, of course, why aren't these children listening to me? And then I can't assume that they're being mean or they're rude. No, they're four. <laughs> Let's start there. They're four. They're not fully developed. And that's my job to help fully develop them. And, you know, I teach them college material for a four-year-old. We do meditation every day. For some reason, they love that. Um, they love when I play some very silent, slow-moving music for them to focus. They love it when, for we do warm-ups every day, I, like, I let them walk around our little room 
and they start to, and maybe this can maybe you don't remember this when you walk around the room and then say all right your body's at a 10 how would you walk at a 10 or if you walk down at a one we we do that and again i'm not grading them but i'm letting them explore and have fun so i'm glad that in some ways i found the empathy and found tools for my college that can still be useful yeah 100% so, 100% Speaking of fear and empathy, you did join improv during your time at college. When did it, did, how? <laughs> uh, so uh, we, uh, in the program, we have an improv level that starts in our junior year at college. Uh, and a- Professor Andy Slowey, or just Andy Slowey, he uh, is one of the, the founders of the improv shop in St. Louis. He uh, went to Webster, moved to Chicago, studied at IO, worked at IO, and then moved back to uh, St. Louis to help open the improv shop with Kevin McKernan and a bunch of other, and two other um, wonderful professors, John Langan and Kate, who, who uh, they all started that, the improv shop. So Andy uh, was a professor, like he joined Webster as a professor. So he went there and then came back. And that class, um, especially right after being on probation, really lit a fire under my ass and this passion for improv and you know between junior and senior year I internshiped at the improv shop and Andy became kind of more of a mentor figure for me um and that's kind of what started it for me you know like I was at Webster but I was also taking classes and performing at the improv shop down in St. Louis and that that is probably my favorite artistic community um I, I feel like I never really got a chance to fully invest myself in that community because I was still in school and I wish I would have. Um, But it was just such a warm environment. And so I remember senior year telling one of my professors, I'm moving to Chicago. I'm going to study improv up there. And I used uh, my training and uh, I I kind of got inspired. And yeah, uh, the first place I went to was, was IO, which the now no longer existing IO up in in Chicago and I, I went through their six level program and then I went to um, CIC which is uh, kind of like I, I call it a, a improv graduate class uh, only because you have to be a graduate of another improv training program in order to apply for it and yeah I, I really loved improv especially at the beginning of my journey with it um, and I still use the, the skills and uh, the tools that I learned um, I think that it can be competitive at time and, and kind of a caustic environment, especially it's a, it's a very cisgender, white, male-led uh, industry that is, hasn't aged. But a lot of our, the entertainment industry hasn't aged and it hasn't um, changed with the times as it needs to. Um, and I, I really loved it. I was on a team at the crowd before the crowd uh, shut down. That, that team was a lot of fun to perform with. Uh, it, I was more of like an independent improviser. I was never on like a huge team for, for Second City or, or IO. Uh, and I, I think that in this uh, industry, in this city, when so many people can feel like the rejection, um, it can be hard. Um, but it served its purpose for what I needed it to be, which was community. I think that's what all art, uh, for me at least, has been and what I miss the most. Because I'll be honest, my friend, I don't miss performing. 
I I don't have, uh, I mean, I, I love performing. And if someone was like, hey, Daniel, the pandemic's over, come be in the show with me. I would do it. But in general, I'm okay with stepping back for a little while. I'm okay with taking a pause. And part of that is because of where I was in my artistic life. You know, uh, I did improv for a very long time. And then um, I, I made, it was kind of like a break for me from, from theater. Because uh, theater was taking its mental health toll. And then I used improv. And then I started to do theater again. And I allowed improv to take a backseat because improv was kind of bad for my mental health. And so I think that it's, it was such a valuable tool and still is because we use improv in our everyday life. But theater became more of a, uh, of the front seat for me. And like, I was in a show that, like, I think I talked to you on your last podcast I did with you. I was in a show that shut down because of COVID. You know, we were performing. We did one week of it. We had three weeks scheduled and it was done. Uh, and that's rough, bud, but it's okay to take a pause. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about that because I know you were on my other show back in the spring. Um, and I love, again, thank you for doing that. But I remember you talking about that, you know, and you said that's okay with you. But when that ended, like, like that day or the days after you got told, we have to shut down, we can't do this anymore. Did it take a while for you to be to say, okay, or that was an immediate reaction? I was campaigning for it to shut down. Uh, You know, for me, I love performing. I really do. But I think that I view uh, mental health, like mental and physical health as more important than doing a show. Uh, Because theater will always come back. And so because the, the pandemic wasn't like it was it had started and there was like reports pouring in and by the way i, I might make a scream because my cat might bite my toe because she loves to do that um and she just moved over to them so um you good bud um but yeah so, so sorry about that this is a very fun that's gonna be a fun little moment in your podcast i can't wait um but yeah i uh I asked, like, when we were in previews, I was like, we need to shut down. We, like, we did the distance thing. We were, like, made sure people stepped forward. We had, we had uh, san- sanitizer. But in general, I was one of the people that was like, you know, this is kind of irresponsible to, and I, my mom, she was, like, going to come down. And I was like, no, you can't come see it. And so, yeah, they shut it down. And I was, uh, you know, sad only because I like performing. And I, I, we did a lot of work for this two-person show. But it it was okay it was uh and then in june they brought it back because the set was still up because they couldn't tear the set down and they were like we're gonna film this for family and friends and i told them i no i i luckily i had an understudy so they could still do it but i will always value following like cdc guidelines or following guidelines that will protect others and myself over performance so like my, my agent to, to switch subject for my agent will send me on these uh they'll send me auditions and I ask them to stop because I said for now as long as we don't like as long as it's not under control we don't need another Ritz commercial we we really don't we don't need a Heineken commercial we have Heineken commercials and that's um partially because I'm entering from a point of privilege of I have another job 
I find fulfillment in other places. Um, but also I feel like it's immoral. I, I feel like it's a moral thing for me where it's like, yes, performing is amazing. Performing is what I love to do. I've always loved to do it. But man, if I'm asking to, if I've, people are asking me to risk my health, I, I'm not going to do that. Like if someone was like, Daniel, jump a 30 story building. Uh, it's for your art. No. Uh, and, and I know it's different because people are like imposing guidelines and all that, but no, I, I, to answer your, your first question, although I was sad, I was pushing for it. And I, I thought that it was, um, you know, they, they tried, they, it, it, I, I felt for them because part of it was because the, the theater building that they were renting from was like, we, you can't get out of your, your contract, you have to do it. And we were like, well, fuck. Um, but I, I automatically was like, as soon as like the reports came in, as soon as we got to understand this more than we did, I, it was time. Right. But, and like you said, it will come back and it will be strong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, during all of this, you know, you did the probation, you had, you went to Chicago you said your parents still support you and have supported you. But during any of that time, you said to them, I'm not going to come home. I'm going to go to Chicago. I'm going to, I want to live there. Were they okay with that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that they, you know, like I said, they have five kids. And so uh, they, they, they don't do the hover parent thing. They do the support and challenge. So as long as I can justify what I want to do with, uh, with my life, as long as I have a rationale for what I'm doing, they got my back. Um, they'll, they'll question. They'll be like, is that the right decision for you? And, and that wasn't a Chicago thing. For Chicago, they got it. And I kind of, with Chicago, I, in most of my life, I've always had like a step-by-step when I explain to me what I'm thinking. So for Chicago, I was like, I'm going to stay in St. Louis for nine months after graduation, earn some money, and then I'm going to study improv in Chicago. Um, for going to back to grad school at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, cool, I'm feeling directionless. What do you, what do you guys think I should do? And it was actually um, my mom who I came up with the, like, she was like, I always thought that I would see you in the mental health field, right? So like my brothers was like, you could do coding. My other brother was like, you could, uh, go into doing VFX, like learn a new skill set in the arts. I'm like, well, why would I still like, I'm not like the arts is so competitive, but um, it was my mom who came up with that idea. And my dad was like, cool, if you do it, do your research. You know, as long as I do my research and back it up with information, my parents have always supported me and, and my family. Like um, I'm very lucky when it comes to being close to all my siblings. My brother did a similar thing when he was 27. My brother uh, went to school for acting and then at 20 and then you know worked odd and end jobs including like retail ski patrol emt at 27 went back to school so he could become a nurse practitioner you know um as long as any of my parents kids have been able to justify their life decisions um that my parents have always given the support that's great so in chicago 
you became associated with Quicksilver Shakespeare. Uh, with, uh, <laughs> what, what? I'm sorry, it's the research. Yeah, no, I love the research. Uh, so you became, you were the community outreach director. How did you get uh, involved with them? I auditioned for them. So I, um, they had, I know that was, I auditioned for them. End of conversation. No, um, they, they did one season of shows like two years ago, almost three years ago now. And then they did a mass audition process where they were bringing more people in. And I auditioned and became a um, cast member. And basically everyone in the cast, to, to, to give your audience an idea of what Quicksilver is, is, everyone in the cast memorizes every single word of Hamlet. And um, that's, that's the show that they decided to do for their first three years. Um, and then you draw cards on stage to see who play what every night of the show. And I auditioned and man, that's a daunting uh, thing. Uh, that's, that's real daunting. That's a lot of work. And it, so for the, at the, they were looking for someone that they had that was supposed to book venues, kind of stole some money from them and, and left. And that's on the down low. And I shouldn't have said that, but I just did uh it doesn't matter i'm not really affiliated with them uh right now as of this moment so their their laundry can be aired i don't have any issue but yeah so i um they needed someone to book spaces and they knew that i had connections and so they asked me to uh take that upon myself and so i did i did a lot of research and i and i booked their venues for that uh summer 2019 thing and I, I performed with them a few times as well, but that I decided because of like the stress, because I, I, I think that they, um, I don't think theater should be a stressful endeavor for their performers. I think performers should be treated with a lot of respect. And I felt at times, like I didn't like how um, their communication style was. And so I wanted it, I wanted to be involved because I liked the idea and I liked the people but I didn't want to be performing with them anymore. So I wanted to take a different position. So I became, uh, I took that under my wing is like, I reached out to people. I reached out to, uh, I booked their um, rehearsal venues for their their next season after that. Uh, Cause I wanted to be in charge, involved in the artistic process but I didn't want to perform anymore at this time. Um, because I love the concept, but I think there's one question missing which is the for why and you know, if it's a gimmick, I don't like that. If you're saying something with it. Because I, I think that the issue with the Hamlet thing for me was, it was always like, who's going to draw Hamlet next, right? Who's going to be the star? And for me, the way that I would phrase it is, what card is our ensemble going to draw next, right? You just saw them play these roles. You saw someone play Guildenstern. Who is that actor going to play next? Making it more about the ensemble. And I think that if that had been the case, I would have been more... Um, excited to perform with them on a more long-term basis but instead yeah I it's uh and I I love those people I think that those are wonderful artists I just didn't like their the theme the question of why um but it, it gave me a really good skill set of networking um because I, I I learned that skill set of like how to book a venue how to uh budget your time how to how to spread that out and how to communicate with a board um, whether that board has like people that are really willing to work with you or people that are that are hard to work with, you know, those are skill sets that I really um, 
enjoyed working with. Did you guys do Hamlet uh, at uh, the Chopin Theater? Uh, so they did do Hamlet at Chopin uh, the first year. Okay. And then Chopin, uh, they gave them a, um, a discount that year. So after that, we had to shop around for different venues. So then the second year, we did it, um, we toured locations. Because of the amount of time that I was given to book, instead of being able to book like one venue for nine performances, I, I thought of the idea and we continued with the idea of what if we were a touring show in a way? What if we like did one show here, one show here? Um, and so I wasn't involved at the show pant level. Okay. I was like, that's one of my favorite theaters to go to in Chicago. And so- it's great I, theater. Yeah. I, I worked there and right, it's like, it's like a really weird- European. It's weird theater. I saw Bill Lear and the theater and the theater's double and Bill Lear's double there. Um, and that one was a weird show with two actors playing Bill Lear. Oh, I know that, that I, one of the actors is my professor. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I worked for a uh, theater oblique and yeah, that's, that company's weird as well. Yeah. Uh, shout out to theater oblique. Um, so I also understand you love to play music. Yeah. You played a ukulele. You even played the piano, but even when you were a kid, you try to tell your parents you didn't want to play the piano anymore because it was holding back your creativity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if we had to put you in charge of a wedding, and I asked another actor this last week on the show, what instrument would you play and what, mu and what songs would you like to play for them? Well, I mean, uh, I played ukulele for my sister's wedding. Um, I played Strawberry Fields Forever while she walked down the aisle um on my ukulele and I think I wouldn't do that this time I actually think I would hire another musician to play for a wedding because I don't think I think I'm I think it's cute when I'm a teenager playing for my sister's wedding but me as an almost 30 year old playing music at someone's wedding it's gonna shit the bed um like I I love playing music but in general music is a tool for me to excel in theater rather than a something I excel at on its own. Like uh, anyone can tell you if, if I'm playing songs for you, I play like two verses and then I get really fed up with how it sounds in my voice or fed up on the musician and I'll change the song, oh. right? Similar to like when you're in a car with me and I'm playing a playlist and I, I'm, I'm like, no, uh, I need to play this song instead. So, but I think that Beatles in orchestral form are classic wedding songs, you know? Um, I would just hire a violist. That was my first interaction with you. Remember our first rehearsal, or our second rehearsal for Wonderful Life. I didn't have a car, and you and you and you were very kind of driving back to the city. And so, you just started every couple minutes play shuffle on the song. And I was like, kind of getting into this one bluegrass song. You were like, here, you listen to this band. And I'm like, no. Okay, what about this band? I'm like, no. Cool, cool. I'm giving you a whole list. I was like, okay, cool. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah, that's, that's being a friend of mine or being in a relationship with me is just like, I, I love um, spreading uh, good tunes uh, or, or like good TV or anything. Like I'm like, this is, and so like uh, Travis, also a friend of ours that we, that we share, um, we did the same thing. And then we would make a playlist together and, um, or I showed him Star Wars, um, or like when I first started dating my partner, we watched Indiana Jones together, you know? And, you know, my partner's always like, I wanna watch something that you haven't watched either. I wanna, I wanna listen to something that you haven't listened to either, you know, so we can experience something at the same time. But for me, I receive such joy when someone enjoys something that I'm showing them. 
Now, mind you, sometimes that backfires. I showed her Goonies last week and she didn't like it. Oh. That was sad for me. Yeah. That's fine. You know, she has her tastes. And so I can't like be like, like this thing. I'm disappointed. But I, when, when she enjoyed Indiana Jones, that was great, right? Like, uh, it just depends. You know, Travis Loving, we watched uh, Watchmen together and we watched uh, Star Wars together. Like, seeing a friend watch something that you've grown up with for the first time, man, there's nothing like it. Do you remember our last show we did for Wonderful Life before Christmas? We had like 20 minutes before we go on and you always brought a speaker so we could all listen to music to help you everyone excited or amped up for the show. And about 20 minutes before we go on, I said, hey, Daniel, can I make a request? And you said, what? And I, and I go, can you play Santa Claus is Come to Town by Bruce Springsteen? And you were like, okay. And for some reason, I lost it and just started, I don't think I've ever been that more energetic before a show when you play that song. And I was the only one. Well, you love Bruce Springsteen, my friend, and there's nothing wrong with that. The what do they call him? The Steen, the Bruce. Uh, Bruce. Bruce, yeah. And like, look, Bruce Springsteen's great. I just never grew up with him. But I love, like, I like it when people show me new stuff too. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to seem like a, a, like a, like I hog the mic all the time. No, you don't. Or when you caught me dancing to Bruce a couple times. For each that was show. pretty fun. That was pretty fun. I'm glad you saw that. I wish, I still do that. I did that over the summer in my other job. People caught me jamming out, so. yeah. Whatever gets me going in the van. Speaking of going, we're going to play a game. Okay. So this game is called Time for Two. Two minutes on the clock. Uh, series of random icebreaker questions. No right, no wrong. I'm just curious to hear your opinion. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, go. Besides this podcast, what other podcast do you recommend? Uh, anything from the Ringer Podcast Network. Is Alex Trebek the greatest game show host of all time? Yes. What do you like to put in your coffee? Uh, nothing. Ideal bedtime? Uh, like 10.30. Ideal wake-up time? Like 6.30, 7.30. Weather of choice? Uh, I, I think that I really love the fashion of summer, but I, if I'm sleeping, I like it to be cold outside so I can have lots of blankets. Do you hit the treadmill or hit the couch? Uh, I would like to say that I hit the treadmill, but since the pandemic, I've been hitting the couch very hard. Nice. Uh, are you a listener or a talker? Both, but I would say that most people say that I talk. Favorite movie genre? Uh, when I was younger, it was crime, but now it's nostalgia. Nice. Uh, what do you like to put on your pizza? I'm a classic person. I like a cheese pizza with basil. Um, so we're making pizzas tonight, and I'm going to put uh, caramelized onions and basil on it. Nice. Uh, Favorite part of the human body? I really like a smile. So I was going to say mouth because that's the the, <laughs> the body part. But yeah, I like people's smiles. Karaoke song of choice. Uh, the last time I did karaoke, I did one week by Bare Naked Ladies and I failed. Okay, great. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Buddy the Elf, what's my favorite color? Yeah, what's your favorite color? Oh, uh, I um, really like the color yellow right now. It's not my favorite color, but it's what I wear the most. I also like green, blue, and red. What's your name? Daniel. What is your quest? 
my quest is to um, make sure everyone's okay. Nice. Ted Danson, your thoughts. <laughs> Ted Danson, my thoughts. Uh, I love Ted Danson. I think he and his wife are very cute. I just watched his wife in uh, uh, the holiday movie on uh, Hulu or what the, the holiday movie on Hulu. They're, they're great. And he should have won more tone, uh, Emmy Awards. And on that note, that's how we play the game. Awesome. Loved it. <laughs> yeah, right. Daniel, before we go, my last question to you is, are your parents proud of you? Uh, well, um, my dad doesn't like to use the word proud. Uh, he thinks that the word pride, or at least he did when I was younger, the word pride takes ownership of what the other person is doing. So I would say my parents are happy for me. My parents are impressed with me. Um, and my mom is proud of me, but I would say that overall, um, they're happy with how my life is going. That's great. Daniel, I can't thank you enough for doing this. This was so much fun. It's always fun, so much fun to talk to you. Um, I can't thank you enough, my friend. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I'd love to come back, talk uh, anything, movies, anything. Yeah. My thanks to Daniel Westheimer for coming on and having a wonderful conversation with me. He is a wonderful, kind human being. And uh, I, I look up or down to him because I'm considerably taller than him in person. But um, yeah, wonderful human being. Yeah, no kidding. It's it, yeah. that was a fun that was a fun little little powwow that y'all had, and uh, yeah, and uh, well, Matt, uh, where 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 can they find us if people want to know more about uh, us and the things that we do? Great question, Griffin. Well, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Parents Proud Podcast. That's where we post all behind the scenes pics with our guests uh, in case you want to see what the video looks like. Uh, we also have announcements about the guests and little skits here and there that I do. Otherwise, you can email us. Please email us at parentsproudpodcast at gmail.com. Wait, wait, we do skits? I do a couple skits. How come I never get to do skits? You're not on Instagram. Oh, you know, that, that's true. I'm not on yeah. Instagram. That's your own fault. Get on Instagram, buddy. Uh, well, maybe I'll have to get on Instagram. I don't know. You know it's just, uh, anyway. I, I, ha I had a very, I had an idea in my head leading up to our premiere of doing an Instagram takeover, both of us. And I realized, oh, wait a minute. Griffith doesn't have an Instagram. Yeah, I don't. I'm very, I'm always like two steps behind everybody when it comes to social media. Um, oh, hey, speaking of the number two, don't you have uh, two holiday jobs to, uh, for this year, Gr Griffin? Yep. I definitely have two holiday jobs because making up one wasn't hard enough. I am, I, in addition to being the official uh, mask dispenser, yeah. of, are your parents proud of you? Because I, I think people should wear masks. Um, I am also... Um, the official uh, 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 airline pilot. D did you know that we have an airline? Do we really? Yeah, Parents Proud Airways. It's a great. It's a great. It's a great service. Uh, you. It, it's the only airline in which uh, you will always fly with your parents. <laughs> yeah, talk about bonding right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, you want to spend time with your parents? How about how about four hours in a metal tube? 
Oh, All right, God. this joke has gone off the rails. Matt, yeah. what, are, what are we doing next week? We're going to have an awesome guest, Jonathan Barry, uh, award-winning director who has directed shows at Steppenwolf, Goodman, American Blues, uh, you name it. Yeah, just uh, all Victory the big Gardens, <laughs> all the big ones he's directed, and uh, he had he worked on the 2005, I believe, it was 2005 Tony Award-winning play August Osage County. So uh, I know, really big deal. Uh, that's a big, um, big guess, and that's our penultimate episode of 2020. We only have two more after this, Griffin. Yeah, we're, we're getting all, we're getting towards the end of this of this great season of of are your parents proud of you in this terrible terrible year of 2020 <laughs> if there's any highlights we can give you is listen to the other 10 episodes we gave you uh this yeah, they're even, all great heck, yeah even 20 from season two earlier this year oh yeah season two was also 2020 <laughs> it's been so long yeah okay right. Griffin, say, say goodbye to everyone Goodbye, goodbye everybody. Uh, Matt, say goodbye to everyone. Goodbye everyone.